We are going to be in Exodus chapter 9 today. We have been, been walking through Exodus, walking through this story of, of conflict and resolution, this story, this battle between, between the Hebrews and the Egyptians, between Moses and Pharaoh, really between, between good and evil. And we have been, been walking through these plagues. We've, we've looked at the first four plagues already, the, the water of the Nile turning into blood of, of an infestation of frogs. Last week we looked at, at uh, gnats, it says in the ESV, or, or I said last week it probably was something similar to lice or fleas, and also a plague of, of flies. Four unbelievable uh, plagues. And we've been, been talking about how there's a cycle to them. Last week I shared this a little bit. There's, there's really, in the first nine plagues, there's three different cycles that happen that are, that are very similar. But, but all of the plagues have, have a, a certain cycle to them. There's, there's an announcement that comes. Uh, God gives an announcement to Aaron or, or Moses, and then they take that announcement to God in, in most of the plagues or it's not, not to God, take that announcement to, to Pharaoh and speak for God to Pharaoh. And these plagues then come, there's, there's a, a direct attack against one of, one of the Egyptian gods. Uh, there's a, a reversal of the, of the created order that we've been talking about, how, how God tends to use in, in creation, in, in Genesis, in, in creation, God takes chaos and puts it to order. And here... He creates, he, he, he takes order and turns it into chaos, creates chaos here in the land of Egypt and reverses that created order. These plagues come and, 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 and what I have written here is that it's a major inconvenience for the Egyptians and for Pharaoh. That's probably putting it much too lightly. But these plagues come, Pharaoh sees them, he's, he's inconvenienced by them, he pleads for help to Moses, in fact tells Moses to plead to his own God, to Yahweh, that he might be rescued, that he might have help, that he might, might be relieved from this inconvenience. Pharaoh responds, I, I, I will let the people go, I will obey the command that, that God has given. And so Moses pleads on Pharaoh's behalf. The judgment is removed. Pharaoh then has his heart hardened and it gets harder and harder and he reneges on his promise and the whole cycle starts again. We've seen it now four times. Today we're, we're looking at chapter nine where we're going to see the same cycle in, in plagues number five and in plagues number six. And so I have to be honest with you today, this week, I'm, I'm looking through and I'm, I'm, I'm reading through Psalm 9. I'm praying through these plagues. And there was a time this week where I just said, God, I, I need you to help me. I, I need to find something new in this. I want to find something, I want to find something new. I want to find something clever. I, I, I want, we need something different in the midst of this. We've seen this cycle now. Four times it's happened. We're, we're going to dive right into two more plagues today where, where, where the cycle is, is just like what we've, what we've already seen. We don't, need to, we don't need to spend so much time is what I, really what I was thinking this week. We, we're, we're spending too much time walking through these 10 plagues. 
And almost immediately as I'm praying that, as I'm reading through it, as I'm taking some notes this week, almost immediately, I'm impressed by God when he, he says to me, what kind of special arrogance do you have that you think that you can spend four or five weeks talking about these 10 plagues and know all of the lessons that it took 10 plagues in Egypt to come across? What kind of special arrogance do I have? Who am I that I think I don't need to see it again and again? In fact, I think, I think that's the reason, one of the reasons why there's 10 plagues here is because we, we forget. We are fickle-minded. We, we too easily, we too easily miss the lessons that God has for us. We too easily run right by them. We too quickly forget what God is trying to impress upon us and what he's trying to teach us. And it is so easy for us here today, 2024, Richland Church, minus South Dakota. We can sit here and we can begin to think, I already know, I already understand God, I, 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 I can see why, why those idol-worshiping Egyptians needed 10 plagues to get it figured out. I can understand why hard-hearted Pharaoh needed 10 plagues to figure these things out. I can even understand why those fickle-hearted Israelites who so often turned away from you and worshipped other things, I see why they, why they needed 10 plagues to figure it out. I even can understand why... why Moses, he had such weak faith there. He's always going back and forth with God at the beginning of this story. I can see why he needed 10 plagues, but me. Why would I need to be reminded again and again and again? And yet I think that's exactly what we need to be reminded of again and again and again. God gives... 10 different plagues, a repeated order and a repeated cycle again and again because we have to be reminded. We have to be reminded. And God's power is seen, I think God's power is seen even greater, his glory is seen even greater by repeating these plagues and this cycle again and again and again. There's a reason why he does it 10 times. Because if really, if all he wanted to do was show his might, if all he wanted to do was show his power, if all he wanted to do was show that he could, he could reverse the order of creation, that he could take uh, control and order and turn it into chaos, and he could pour that onto the Egyptians and give judgment uh, against Pharaoh and against Pharaoh's rebellion against God, if that's really all he wanted to do, his glory could have been seen in, one, in, in all 10 plagues coming at one moment. Can you imagine if in one moment all of the water in the land turns to blood and in that exact moment out of the water comes this swarm of frogs and the dust turns to fleas that cover us and flies swarm all over, grasshoppers come, the livestock keel over and die, we're covered in boils and, and, and all of that happens, a hailstorm begins to come and, and giant balls of ice fall from the sky and it all happens in the darkness when you can't see your hand in front of your face 
wouldn't we see and know God's glory in that moment? If it all happened at one time? Absolutely we would. But that's not the way God works. It's not the way he does it in Exodus. He repeats the cycle again and again and again. And I think, I can only imagine, that at the end of every cycle, at the end of every plague, when the, when the relief comes, when the, when the flies are taken away, when the fleas have, have possibly gone, we don't know if they, they left or not, but, but when, the, when, when, the, when the blood has, or when the water has, has turned back from blood, when the frogs are piled up in heaping, stinking piles, when it's all over, I think every time the Egyptians and the Hebrews said, wow, God is great. And then began to forget. We don't know how long these 10 plagues come. Some commentators actually, actually say this whole process that we're walking through these chapters in, in Exodus could have actually taken up, up to a year for all of these things to happen. They, they, they didn't all hit in a 10-day span or in a, in a two-week span. It could have taken a year for these things to happen. And every time, I think they're reminded, God is great. God is great. God's power is seen in the midst of these plagues. God leaves no doubt. God leaves no doubt. I think one other reason, I read this this week too, which I, which I really appreciated, one of the reasons why, another reason why I think there's probably 10 plagues is because, because we know uh, that, that sometimes things happen. Sometimes this, things happen and, and maybe if, if there was only one plague, if only the, the Nile turned to blood, Pharaoh might have been able to say, you know, it just happened. Some, some, some natural occurrence came and, and something happened upstream and it just all came down and it hit us all at once and, 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 it, and it, it, it just happened. Or maybe even two things could happen. And, and, but he does it over and over and over. We're to see that God is great and his glory is great. And so... As we dive into chapter 9 today, let's see what kind of lessons God might have for us in these plagues, in the fifth and sixth plague. We're going to start in verse 1 of of chapter 9. It's page 51 if you're in a pew Bible today. In Exodus chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh, say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this in this thing in the land. And the next day, the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, 
take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the, uh, on the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. What can we see from these two plagues? Plagues number five, plagues number six. These two plagues combined together, they, they finished this second cycle, this three different cycles as we walk through the plagues. And so we come to the conclusion of this, of this next cycle. And we see right away, chapter nine, verse one, It begins again with the Lord giving Moses a command that he is to pass on to Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. God's command, we've said this, I've said this a a number of times already, but God's command does not change. God gives his command through Moses, through Aaron to Pharaoh, Over and over and over, let my people go. Thus says the Lord. His command doesn't change. And I think one of the things we are to be reminded of as we walk through these plagues, as we look at God's word here in Exodus, we are to be reminded that God's word, God's commands do not change. We live in a society, we live in a culture right now that that it does, it moves, it it adapts. We try to soften things both ways. We try to, to soften up some of the commands of God. We try to, to, to harden them up sometimes and, 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 and add to them. We go both ways oftentimes. But God's word does not change. His promises do not change. His commands do not change. And his justice will not change. God is the same all the way through. And he says here in chapter 9, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. And if you refuse, if you refuse, behold, the hand of the Lord is going to fall on you. And all the livestock that are in your field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, the flocks, all of them, all of them will be put to death. All of the livestock. And that's exactly what happens. Moses gives the command to Pharaoh. All of the livestock are going to be killed. This will happen tomorrow, he says. Again, Moses is using the time. We've seen this in a couple of different plagues. Moses is using the time that this is going to happen or the time that it's going to come to an end to to point to God and his power. Not only is this going to happen, Moses says, but I'll tell you when. I'll tell you it's going to be tomorrow. It's going to happen at the time that we say because God is is announcing and enunciating his power. This is when it will happen and this is why. Because you will know that I am God. Thus says the Lord. And so, the livestock in the field. It's hard to know exactly what 
it means when he talks about the livestock in the field. He's, he's, I mean, it seems pretty clear. He says all of the livestock in the field, the horses, donkeys, camels, herds, flocks, all of them are going to come to an end. And while that seems clear cut, we see in the very next plague that the sores are going to fall on both man and beast. We see in a couple other plagues that they're to, to bring their, their livestock in, he says, during, for, the, for the hail that's about to come. Bring, bring your livestock in so that the hail does not kill the livestock. And so, I, I, again, I, I don't have a perfect answer for this. I, I, I don't know exactly what's put to death and what's not, but I can tell you this. If, if all of those working animals, all of the animals that are out in the field, they're all put to death, at least at this moment in this plague, the hit is not just on the death of animals, while that's tragic. The death probably more is not just animals, but it's on the livelihood and the commerce of the Egyptians. These are the animals that they needed to to plow their fields. These are the animals that they needed to, 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 to do any kind of transportation. These are the animals that would have been used to keep the economy of Egypt moving and flowing. These are the animals that would have been used. They didn't have. They didn't have any other kind of transportation. They didn't have any other vehicles. They didn't have any other way to get around. The animals, the livestock would have been their commerce. And so God is coming in now and is taking away their commerce, is taking away their economy. He also, in this same moment, is not only coming against their economy and, and probably the, the idol of their commerce, but, but he's also coming against them again in a direct attack against the gods of the Egyptians. We've talked about that a couple times. I've showed you some, some different pictures of, of gods. We've talked about serpents and frogs and, and the, the, the god of the Nile, all of those types of things. And while, there, while I don't have today a, a specific name for all of the gods that, that it looks and appears that God is attacking there, it was well, well known and, and widespread that they would have worshipped certainly cattle or, or, or bulls and one of the reasons why, why we know that, we, we, we see it in Egyptian history, but, but we also know that later, as the Israelites leave Egypt, as they, as they go through the Red Sea, as, as they're wandering in the desert, Moses goes up on the mountain, remember? God speaks with Moses, gives him the Ten Commandments. When Moses comes down, what does he find? Aaron and the Israelites have made a false god. And what is the god? A calf, Right? A golden calf. So we, we know that even, the, even the, the Hebrews, even the Israelites, they, they know if they're going to worship something other than the, God, other than the one true God, it's the, that livestock, cattle, at least this ram of some kind or bull of some kind. So once again, we see that God is fighting, battling against, coming directly, opposing the gods of the Egyptians. And once again, we see that there's a distinction here between the Egyptians and the Israelites, between the Egyptians and the Hebrews. He even spells it out as it comes. He says, your livestock, donkeys, horses, camels, herds, and flocks, your livestock will be killed, but, but the livestock of Israel, they will be saved. 
God has chosen a people. He has made a covenant with a people and he is rescuing a people. And there is a dividing line between the Egyptians and the Hebrews. God has promised to rescue a people. And it's not because of any innate value or innate worth that they have. It's not because of anything that they have done or accomplished. The truth is, they probably are not all that different than the Egyptians. But God has chosen a people and made a covenant with a people. And he continues to remind us that there is a line. There is a line between those that God pours out wrath and judgment on and those that God rescues and delivers and saves. And we're reminded of that over and over in the midst of this cycle as we look at the plagues. One of the interesting things in this plague, in this fifth plague, the death of the livestock, throughout this whole process, over and over, Moses has come to Pharaoh And he has asked that Pharaoh might let the people go, let the Hebrews go, let the Israelites go, send us away, he says. In fact, the same that that word sent or send, send us out, send us away, let us go. And then here at the end of this plague, in verse 7, it says finally, and Pharaoh sent, it says, that same word in verse 7. And Pharaoh sent. But he doesn't send the Israelites out. He doesn't listen and obey God's command. Instead of sending them, he sends some kind of group, some kind of messenger, some kind of envoy that goes across into Goshen, sees what happened in the land of the Hebrews, in the land of the Israelites, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. He sends out some kind of messenger and says, go, go. See if what they told me is actually true. See, we, all of our livestock are dead. Our horses, our camels, our, our herds, our flocks, they're all dead, but go. See if the Israelites, see if their animals are dead. And when the report comes back that no, they are, they are still alive, they are protected just in the way that Moses said that they would, Pharaoh does not take that moment to repent. He does not take that moment to bow down before the one true God. Instead, his heart is hardened and he does not let the people go. The cycle continues. Come then to the sixth plague. Again, in each of these cycles of three, in the first one, it comes in the, the, the announcement comes in the morning. Pharaoh come, or Moses comes to Pharaoh, makes an announcement in the morning. In the second, in the second plague in the cycle, uh, another announcement is made to Pharaoh. In the third plague in these cycles, there's no announcement that's made. It seems as if these third plagues that happen, plagues number three and six and nine, these plagues seem to be a, a direct judgment and punishment on the fact that, Moses, there, that Pharaoh has continued to renege on the promise that he has made. He continue, it's, it's a judgment that Pharaoh continues to back up on his promises. And so there's no warning. There's no announcement that's going to be made to Pharaoh. It's just going to happen. The fleas and the, and, and, and the lice, they come up on the people. And then here we find in chapter 9, the sixth plague is boils. God tells Moses not not to go and make an announcement, but instead he says, go and take handfuls of soot from the kiln, throw them up into the air. 
There's two reasons, I think, commentators tell me why Moses is being told to do this. The first reason why they would go to the, to the kiln and, and, and take handfuls of soot is because these kilns undoubtedly would have been the ovens that were used to bake the bricks for the land of Egypt. Remember the bricks? The bricks that the Egyptians or that the, the Israelites have been, have been making for the Egyptians? The bricks that, that they had to finally end up going and getting their own straw, but they still had the same number of bricks that they were supposed to build over uh, every day? These kilns, these were the ovens. And just as we have seen where the Nile River, God, God used the weapon that Pharaoh had used the Nile River, to kill the baby boys that we learned about earlier in Exodus. God used that weapon as one of his first judgments in the plague, turning the water into blood. He he used the the, the idea of of fertility. The goddess of fertility was the the frog goddess. And, And Pharaoh had used fertility against the Egyptians by, by asking the midwives to kill those, or against the Hebrews, asking the midwives to kill the Hebrew babies. God used that, the God of, of, of fertility, against them. Again, we see that God is using what Pharaoh used against the Israelites, the kiln, the oven where the bricks were baked. He uses the very soot that comes from one of those as judgment against Pharaoh against Egypt. And so Moses goes to the kiln and he takes handfuls of soot and throws them up in the air. The second reason why, why commentators tell me that Moses did this is that during this time in Egypt, the, the priests in Egypt, the, the magicians, the wise men, the, the, the leaders of the idolatry worship in Egypt, they would have oftentimes blessed people by sprinkling ash or sprinkling dust over them, throwing it up over them, coating them in a, in a blessing, per se. And God is having Moses do this exact same action, this exact uh, throwing up and, and, and covering over people, but not as a covering of blessing, but instead as a, as a covering of judgment, as a covering of curse. So Moses does take the soot, take the ash from the kiln, throws it up as a fine dust over the land of Egypt. And as he does that, it becomes boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. This is the first time that we've seen that the plague has directly affected the, the, the body of the people directly affected them individually. Now you can say all oh, the other ones affected them. The, 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 it affected their bodies, their ability to drink. It certainly, it, it talks about the, the frogs were going to be up on you, it says. Moses and, and Aaron, the, 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 there's, there's no way that we can talk about lice and fleas without them talking about being on you. So, so they have certainly, they have certainly been affected, but this is the first time that it's not an outside force that's coming and, and affecting people. But it almost appears as if there's an inside. There's an inside force, there's an inside infection, there's an inside disease that now is trying to force its way out. 
I think the reminder for us in this is that it's easy sometimes for us to think about to think about the sin that's out there and not to think about the sin that's in here. It's easy for us to think about all the things that are affecting us. It's easy to think about all the things that come against us. It's easy to think about all of the inconvenience that we have. And in fact, more than even inconvenience, the suffering that is coming against us. And not to think, not to think about the sin that resides in here. We don't just live in a world that's broken by sin. We do. And there's lots of things that come with that. There's lots of hardship. There's lots of suffering. There's lots of, there's lots of bad that comes from living in a world that's broken by sin. But we're not just affected by the world, the sin that's in the world, but we're affected by the sin that's in us. We are broken people, not just living in a broken world. We are lost and we are ruined each of us individually. This rot of sin has affected and affected every part of our lives and it begins to pour out of us, to boil out of us. Sin is not a problem that's outside of us. Sin is the problem inside of us. Man and beast are covered, breaking out in boils all through the land of Egypt. And once again, the magicians, Pharaoh's counselors, Pharaoh's wise men, they, they once again make another appearance here at the close of this second cycle. It tells us that the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. And the boils came upon the magicians, upon all of the Egyptians. We don't know exactly what it means when it says that they could not stand. It probably means they could not physically stand before Moses. They were covered in boils, boils all over their body. Boils in every joint that caused them so that they could not stand. Boils probably on the tops and the bottoms of their feet. Boils everywhere so that it was, it was for sure inconvenient, if not impossible, for them to stand, physically stand before Moses. I'm sure that's absolutely what this means. But there's also the idea that's illustrated here that they are, they are ceremonially unclean, that they are not able to stand before Moses because they are not able to come. They're not able to try to do their, their secret arts. They're not able to come before their, their own idols, their own gods, and, and try to refute this plague that has come against them because they're, they're ceremonial unclean. Their skin is unclean. They were fastidious, especially these, these Egyptian wise men. They would have been fastidious in their cleanliness. They would have purified themselves over and over and over. And so they knew that they could not come before their idols. They could not come before their gods. They could not look to their secret arts because this worship for them would have been futile in their unclean state. And so there was no way. There was no way that they could come before Moses. There was no way that they could try to attempt to stand 
before this judgment of God because they were so unclean. I think that we are to be reminded this morning as we walk through these plagues that none of us, none of us can stand. We saw it on the screen as we walked in this morning. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? There's a judgment that is to come. These plagues are a reminder. They are a preview of the judgment that's to come. We see that throughout Scripture. I've pointed to that several times in the midst of the series. Even this plague, the plague of the boils, in Deuteronomy, later, as, as Moses is giving the law, he, he, he says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, he says, for those that disobey, for those that do not obey this law, he says, he says in, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt. References this exact plague. Will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with scabs that itch, and you will not be healed. It says, the Lord will strike you on your knees and legs with grievous boils of which you cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. There's a judgment that is to come for those who disobey. And it's not just for the Hebrews. John tells us about the same judgment in Revelation chapter 16. He says, then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. And the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. Harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. There's a judgment. There's a judgment that is to come. Not just for Pharaoh, not just for the Egyptians. There's a judgment that is to come and none of us, none of us can stand it. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of our sin is death and eternal separation from God, this sin that's inside of us. But, while we were still sinners, Paul tells us, while we were still a long way off, while we were still far from God, while sin still dwelled inside of us and boiled out of us, God sent his son. Christ died for me. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a dividing line between those who are rescued and those who are not. There's a dividing line between those who are going to have judgment poured out on them and those who will be rescued and redeemed. And that dividing line is Jesus Christ. There's a cross that stands between us and the judgment that is to come. There is a redeemer and a rescuer and a savior. There is a son of God in Jesus Christ who stands before us and the holy judge. But he doesn't just stand. In fact, scripture tells us that he sits at the right hand of the father. The work in the throne room is finished. No longer does the priest have to continue to offer sacrifices because 
The perfect sacrifice has been offered once and for all, and so now he sits at the hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? It wasn't the magicians, it wasn't the Egyptians. Most certainly would not even be us. But it was Jesus Christ. Worship team is going to come this morning and we're going to sing together. My hope, my hope for you this morning as we close, as we remember, as we review in the midst of these plagues, is that you will not respond as Pharaoh does. That you will not harden your heart this morning to the call of God or to the whisper of the Holy Spirit. That you will not close your ears or your eyes to the repetition of either God's curse or God's mercy that has been poured out for those who rest in Jesus today. But that you might call on the name of the Lord that you might hope and the one who stands between judgment and an eternity forever with him. Rest in Jesus today. Stand with me as we close. I am a sinner, your blameless Lord. My sin against you can't be ignored They will be punished, I know they must Your law demands it, for you are just If you would count Everything that I've done wrong Who could stand But there's forgiveness with you, God Have mercy on me Have mercy on me A broken and a contrite heart You won't turn away Have mercy on me, have mercy on me, because of your steadfast love. Father of mercy, you gave your Son to make atonement for the wrongs I have done what you required Jesus fulfilled I don't deserve it and I never will if you would count everything that I've done wrong Stand, but there's forgiveness with you, God. Have mercy.
mercy on me. Have mercy on me. A broken and a contrite heart you won't turn away. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Because of your steadfast love, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. A broken and a contrite heart, you won't turn away. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Because of your steadfast love. Because of your steadfast love. The benediction today comes from Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning.